funds that are collected here today would be used for the growth of the church and would bring glory to your name. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 220, He Lives, 220. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. I serve a distant Savior in the Eternal, I do the judge, the king, the king, the 
presentation here. This morning, number 587, Soul of Savior, Thou Art Needed. 587, Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been announcing that we're going to do our Trunk or Treat a little bit differently this year. Uh, it's going to be uh, kind of a, a Bible-based um, theme this year. So we're going to uh, have trunks that are, are uh, Bible stories, Jonah and the, uh, and the, and the big fish and Daniel on the fiery furnace. There's a, a sign-up sheet in the back. Put your name down there if you're going to provide a trunk and, and which story you're going to cover so we don't double up on that. Uh, also, in November, we're going to start a series where we're answering questions from the Bible that your friends might have. So, we're going to do something a bit unconventional, maybe. Take out your cell phones and take a picture of that slide and text it to somebody that has a Bible question. We've all got friends that we converse with about Bible things, right? You've, we've all got people that are interested in spiritual stuff. Um, and we have those conversations with them, whether they're at work or whether they're family or whatever. Got that person's phone number, right? Take a picture of that. Text that picture to them. And then tell me what they say. <laughs> I want to know these questions. We want to deal with the questions that, that our community has, that your friends have. We're going to uh, stream these things. They're welcome, of course, to come join us um, any Sunday, but especially that Sunday we answer their question. Uh, and I'll let you know what, what questions we're going to ask and answer uh, as, as that comes about. But I'm planning on doing that series uh, during November and December. So I would love uh, as many questions, more questions than we can answer in in those weeks would be great. So, if you don't, if you didn't get that, I'll give it to you later. Uh, the next and last thing I wanted to talk about before we get into our lesson, which is Acts 25 and 26. Go ahead and be turning there if you want to. Um, but on October 22nd, it's not uh, next Sunday, but the following Sunday, our young men are going to be leading services at the Pleasant Ridge congregation. We've done this a couple times. Uh, we went to Greasy Ridge and and the young men got to speak there, and we've, we've done it at South Point more recently, and they've done great. Um, these, these young guys are, are absolutely awesome, um, and, and they're leading singing, and they're preaching, and they're doing the prayers, and the Lord's Supper, they're, doing, they're conducting the whole service. And so this one is a, is a little bit special because it's not on a Sunday night. All the other ones have been on Sunday nights, and, uh, but this one, uh, Pleasant Ridge, is, only does a Sunday morning service, and so... Um, if you would like to come to that, we would love to have you join, uh, join the, the folks that are going to go out there uh, and be with them that day. I know that would be an encouragement not only to our young men that are leading, but also to the congregation there. Um, so be aware of that. All right. Um, the lesson today, like I said, comes from Acts chapter 25 and 26. So when we last left Paul, he's in prison. He was under... Um, a guy named Felix. Uh, Felix is the one who put him, technically, I suppose, in prison. And he kept hearing, he was the governor uh, of Caesarea Maritima, where Paul was in prison. Um, this is Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea on the sea. This is what it would have looked like in Paul's day. Uh, it may look like a vacation spot to us, but it, Paul found it uh, differently. Uh, he's in chains. He's in prison while he's here under Felix. Felix is recalled back to Rome because of his mismanagement of this governorship, uh, and a guy replaces him by the name of Festus. Festus doesn't know anything about Jewish uh, religion. He doesn't know anything about the Jewish people. 
Um, he certainly doesn't know anything about Christianity and the inner workings and how it works and doesn't work with Judaism. And so when Felix comes, the Jews think they have another opportunity. Here's a brand new guy who doesn't know anything, a brand new governor. So we're going we're gonna to entice him and maybe we can get him to bring Paul to Jerusalem and then we can kill Paul. Remember the guys that took the vow that haven't eaten or drink uh, in quite a long time now by this point. Uh, it's been over two years. Um, so uh, they're still looking for an opportunity to kill Paul. So Festus says, nah, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to leave him in Caesarea Maritima, and I'm going to get there in about seven or eight days. And by the time I get there, you be there, and we'll have his trial. So that's what they do. He invites the high priest and all the Jews that want to come, and they go to Caesarea Maritima, and there they have Paul's trial. When uh, Festus gets back in town from his, his visit around Jerusalem, he starts having this trial. The problem is, Festus doesn't know Paul. He doesn't know anything about Judaism or Christianity. But there is a visiting, visiting dignitary. In fact, the king of the Jews, it's Agrippa II, Herod the Great's great-grandson, I believe. Um, Herod, Agrippa II is visiting in Caesarea Maritima. And so Agrippa II is steeped in the ways of Judaism. This guy, in fact, is a Jew himself, sort of. Um, he, would, he would be considered an outsider in the Jewish religion, but he, he knows the laws and, and has Jewish blood running through his, blame, through his veins. But he, he's aware of the laws. He is, even is aware of the distinction of, the, of this sect known as the Way, or Christians, as, as we've become um, to, be, to be known. So, Festus invites him to sit in on this trial. Festus doesn't know anything. Agrippa knows a lot about this sect. And so, Agrippa, come, come sit in on this trial with me because I'm kind of embarrassed. I've got to send this guy to Caesar because he appealed to Caesar, remember? Paul knew he wasn't going to get a fair trial here anywhere near Jerusalem. And so he appeals to Caesar, but Festus doesn't have anything to tell him. He doesn't have anything to tell Caesar. Um, usually when you write a letter to Caesar and it's born in a prisoner's hands. You can say this guy committed murder. He's committed treason. This, these are the these are the, um, the 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 laws against him. These are the laws that he's broken. This is why he's a criminal. This is why he's he's appealed to you. This, this are, these are the reasons. Paul doesn't have that because Festus doesn't know because Paul hasn't broken any laws, and so he wants to invite Agrippa into this meeting so that Agrippa can kind of help him write this letter. So. Let's get into what we're actually talking about. In, in Acts chapter 26, Paul begins this defense against um, the claims that people have been making against him, against the claims that the Jews have been making against him. They're going to throw all kinds of outlandish claims at Paul. Um, they're going to accuse him of treason, uh, of trying to tear down the temple, uh, of causing uprising and riots, and it's all fabricated. None of it's true. Uh, and Paul even points that out in his beginning, in his opening comments. Uh, he's going to say, you know, you guys could, if, if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to ask, and they would actually show up, you could find a whole bunch of people who could tell you exactly, if they were willing to tell the truth, exactly what I've been doing while I've been here, and that I haven't had time to do any of the things that you're telling, that you're accusing me of, nor do I have the desire to do those things. So, um, in... Acts chapter 24, 
Starting in verse 4, Paul says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. He says, this is something we shouldn't even be having a trial about. You guys all believe it, at least most of you guys believe it, the Sadducees are over here because they don't believe in the resurrection, but that's why I'm here, and I don't really understand why I'm on trial, because almost all the Jewish people be, believe in the resurrection, but that's, that's why I found myself here. In verse 8 of Acts 26, he says, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? You all believe that, and if you didn't, how acquainted with Yahweh actually are you? Because this is who he is. This is what he does. He does the unthinkable. But all the Jews believe this. All you guys buy into it. And in verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, well, actually, I, I understand where you're coming from because I did the exact same thing because I thought that Jesus was a false teacher. I thought he was saying things that are not true about the Father, about God. And so I, I too opposed him. And then he's going to recount his conversion story. It's what Casey read for you this, this morning. Uh, and starting in uh, Acts 26, verse 12, Paul's going to tell you about the road of Damascus. Agrippa may have heard this. We don't, we don't know um, specifically if he knew Paul's conversion story, but now he does. Um, and so there are a couple of things in Paul's recounting of his conversion story to Agrippa that he doesn't include anywhere else, namely that about the goads. Um, when Jesus meets with Paul, there's a bright light, right? And it knocks him off his horse, and in fact, it, it knocks his whole company off their horses. Paul's not alone in this trip. I don't, I don't know what you see when you envision uh, this scene along the Damascus Road, but you, you ought to see a crowd of people, and there's horses everywhere, and it's chaos now because this bright light has, has knocked everyone down, and, and, and chaos has ensued. But the voice speaks to Paul. To everyone else, it's a voice. They hear him, but they can't see him. Paul sees him and then goes blind for three days, right? Um, and the voice, let's just let Paul tell you, it's Acts 26 verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. He says it was at noon, right? When, when the sun's at its peak, when the sun's at its brightest, and that's when a bright light so surprised me I fell off my horse. <clears throat> this is not the sun. This is something that is infinitely brighter than the sun. This thing overshadowed the sun. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. We're going to get to his purpose in just a second. That's, that's really what I want to talk about today, Paul's purpose, his God-given purpose. Because I think it's our God-given purpose too. So that's, that's important. But first, I think we probably need to think about this, this issue of the goads. What is a goad? Do you, do you know? If you've ever spent any time in farming, you, you probably know what a goad is. I, I don't know if American farmers still use them or not, cattle ranchers and things, but I know they do in Africa. In fact, when Kelly and I have been there, 
we'll see little kids, not bigger than Hannah's age, five, six, seven-year-old kids, and they've got a whole herd of, of cattle or goats, and they've got in their hands a stick, like the one this guy has in his hand. And if a goat will get out of line, if it'll, if it'll start heading this way and the kid wants it to go that way, you know what he'll do with the stick? He'll hit the, he'll hit the goat or the cow, or he'll poke it. And you know what the thing does? The animal gets right back in line. That's what a goad is. That's what this stick, it's called a goad. And it's a corrective measure. Uh, it's, it's a disciplinary measure. So how, stop and think about that for a second. How is Paul been kicking against the goads. God has disciplined him. In some way, he's tried to correct him in some way. What might that look like? What, what possibly could that have looked like? Well, I think all options have been exhausted. I think it's got to be this. I think when he heard guys like Stephen preaching, because we know he heard Stephen preaching. When he heard Stephen preach, I think some of that truth pricked Paul's heart. I think some of that made him stop and think, maybe, no. And he pushes it aside. I don't know how many times that happens. I do know that Paul drags people out of their house and kills them. It's not just Stephen. He's not the only one that Paul is signing their death warrant on. It's not the only one that he's condemning. This happens multiple times. Um, and so I'm assuming like every Jewish court, like Paul was expecting in his own trial, that they would give the one accused of criminal activity an opportunity to defend himself like they gave Stephen. And so when those guys taught whatever they were teaching about Jesus, hit Paul. And it, and it made him stop and it made him think. But then you know what he did? He brushed it aside and kept doing what he thought was right. He's kicking against the goads. It's interesting. He's pushing back, right? He's pushing back against these disciplinary corrective measures that God is using to him um, against Paul. It's interesting to me that if we didn't have this trial, we wouldn't know anything about the goads. Paul never records that. For any, in the, other, the other two times, he tells this story three times in the book of Acts. But the other two times, he doesn't record this bit about the goads in, in any of the other stories when he recounts his conversion story. Why does he do it here? I believe every word of Scripture is important. You, you've heard us say that before. You, you need to reflect and dwell on with each word. And especially when a new part of the story comes to light, you think, why is that? Why is that there? Right? So why is why is the goads part here? I think Agrippa is in the exact same situation Paul was when Jesus said it's hard for you to kick in against the goads, isn't it? I think Agrippa's kicking against the goads. I think God has done something in Agrippa's life. Certainly he's heard about Jesus. He even knows what we're called. At the end of Paul's sermon, you remember uh, Agrippa's line, it's famous by this point. We even sing a song uh, about his, his, uh, his, his line that he gives back to Paul. Would you so soon make me a Christian? Right? He knows what we're called. Not, not everybody knows that. In the first century, today it's common, common knowledge. And that's usually how Christians are referred to, the followers of Christ, the, the 
Christians. That's, that's the moniker that's usually given to us. But in the first century, it's not, it's not that way. They would call us people of the way or followers of the Nazarene or, or, or some, some, something like that. <coughs> Christian, that term, isn't as deeply ingrained in their culture as it is in ours. Uh, we're not known by that term as well then as we are now. And so that tells us, that lets us in on this little bit of information that maybe Agrippa has delved into some of the inner workings of the way, uh, of Christ followers. Some of his doctrine maybe, he, he's, he's, he's studied maybe a little bit. He's thought about it at least. He's interacted with some of these people. You don't get to be king of the Jews in the first century and not interact with some Christians. Certainly that's, that's happened. I think Paul includes here that Agrippa needs to stop kicking against the goads. I think that's why Paul records his story here to say, I was doing it. I was kicking against the goads. I was pushing back and I shouldn't have done that. It was dangerous, so dangerous. Agrippa, you're doing it too. And you got to give over. It's too dangerous to, to, do, to continue on doing this. In fact, well, just, just flip over there. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Listen to what he says here in Ephesians 4, 27. You're familiar with the first part of this verse probably. In verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We, we know that verse, but there's a comma after anger in my translation. That's not the end of the sentence. That's not the end of Paul's thought. So don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Some translations say foothold. We might put it like this. If you give the devil an inch, what? He'll take a mile, won't he? He's good at that. He tends to take more than you're willing to give, doesn't he? He wants everything you have. He, he only wants your pain. In, in John chapter 10, in verse 10, Jesus reminds the disciples that's what he does. He only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his only work. Kill, steal, and destroy. How many people, if you were doing friend interviews, interviews for a new friend, and they said, well, here's what I really enjoy. I like killing, stealing, and destroying. You'd be like, well, sign me up. We're, we're best buddies now, right? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> but we buddy up next to Satan, don't we? too often makes us uncomfortable to think about it, how often we buddy up next to him. Because he makes sin look appealing, doesn't he? Hmm. Reminds me of being tied up. This is, this is paracord. Um, when, I was gonna, when I was thinking through this illustration... I thought of uh, a logging chain, and I was going to have it up here, and I was going to kind of wrap it around me and show you how hard it was to get a, 
out of the logging chain as an illustration for how Satan ties us up. But I don't think an log, I don't think a logging chain. The more I thought about it, I don't think a logging chain is really an apt illustration for it. It shows us the weight. It shows shows us the gravitas, I guess, of of sin. But I think paracord, especially this this little light stuff here, is is uh, maybe a better illustration for sin, and it's how it binds us. This stuff's really tiny. Uh, my kids like to make paracord bracelets. I can't even find the end. There it is. Uh, my kids like to make paracord bracelets. We've probably sent, I don't know, we sent 24. Uh, some of our kids made um, paracord bracelets during VBS, and we sent those, we took those to Peru with us and gave 24 or 26 of them away. We sent several hundred to Africa uh, by this point. But they make paracord bracelets, but it's not out of this little stuff. It's, it's out of the bigger stuff. Paracord's interesting because if you look at it, it'll give you the weight on there. This is 95 pounds. Um, so this thing will hold 95 pounds worth of pressure, right? I think sin's more like spiderweb or really thin paracord since you can't really see spiderweb. But if you were to wrap this thing around you once, I, I almost asked for a volunteer, but... I don't know that anybody wants to come up and let me do that, to wrap you up in this stuff. But if, if I were to wrap you up in this stuff, you could probably, you could probably get out of one. If I just wrapped you around you once, you could probably get out of that, right? Especially if you're strong, you could probably get out of this. But if I wrapped you around you twice or three times, what if I wrapped you in this thing until you couldn't see your clothes? That's kind of how sin works. You make a compromise. You sin once because it, it looks pleasurable, right? It looks like it'll give you what you want. That's the lie of sin. It's a mirage. It's not true. It won't give you what you want. You know how you know that? Because he only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants to take everything from you. He wants to hurt you. That's how you know sin will never deliver on its promises. It looks pleasurable. It looks like fun. But if you follow that train of thought on down to the end where you can see how that sin ends, you know what you'll find? Destruction. Death. And pain. So you make one compromise, and it'll wrap you up one time. And then you make another compromise, and you sin again, and it wraps you two times. And then you make that compromise again. And it, the funny thing about sin is, it just gets easier to do it every time you, every time you sin, doesn't it? The first time, you, you were probably like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mm, I'm mad at myself, right? Paul does that in, in Romans 10. I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Sins like that, the first time, your conscience will be bugged by it. Second time, your conscience is a little less bugged, isn't it? It's not as, not as, not as easy, or it's not as hard to fall into that sin. Third time, fifth time, sixteenth time, what happens? It just gets easier and easier, doesn't it? And you just keep getting wrapped up in that stuff until finally, you're so entwined in that, 
You can't get out. You couldn't break that if you tried. The strongest 12 guys in here, you could wrap this thing up enough times and all of us could get on one side and the other could get on the other side and you couldn't break it. Sin does that to you. Keep playing with it. And he's got you so tied up you can't get out. Listen to what he says in James 4. We're going to use this verse tonight as well. Uh, tonight's lesson is kind of a, a part B to, to this morning's lesson. But in James chapter 4, he gives us a promise. In verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to, the, to God. Resist the devil and he will what? He'll run from you. But you've got to resist him. If you keep giving in to him, he just wraps you up more. You start resisting him. You start pushing back against him. And these cords start falling off. And now it's not easy, right? It's still hard to get out of sin. You still have to put forth an immense amount of effort. But it's possible. Agrippa... I think is so tied up in sin. Paul sees himself decades earlier in that exact same situation and says, you just got to give over, man. Quit kicking against the goads. You're so tied up, you can't get out. You dug a hole so deep, you can't get out of the hole. When we were in Africa the first time, on the second time, um, a lot of Africa stories today apparently. <laughs> But when we were in Africa the second time, uh, one of our friends goes over to dig wells, and he puts them right at church buildings. So then the community has to come to the church building. The preacher's standing there going, hey, you want water? I'll give you living water, you know? Um, so he puts, them in, he puts them right next to church buildings. And so we come for, uh, for breakfast that morning, ginger tea. It's really good. Um, and so we eat that, or we drink that, and this guy shows up, and in his hand, he's got a, a, uh, a board and a shovel. And we're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm here to dig the well. Oh, you're going to dig it by hand. Cool. Now they dig it by, by drill. But uh, this guy, the first one, was dug by hand. And so, how are you going to do that? He says, dig it in the ground. <laughs> what do you mean, how you dig a hole? So, he does. He digs a hole, and he starts, and he, he, he's just, it's like you would imagine, a hole. Small uh, and then when we come back from, uh, from lunch, he's got it about up to his chest. Oh, man, this guy's booking. We come back for supper that night to leave. And he's so far down the hole, he can't get out on his own. He's, he's, he's tied the board. He's put the board. That's what the board was for. We all wondered. But he's, he's put the board up uh, on, top of the, on top of the hole, and he's got some sort of system in which he draws himself up out of the hole now. But that's what sin does. You eventually dig yourself so deep a hole you can't get out of it. He's got you so wrapped up you can't get free. The logging chain would have sufficed. It would have been a, maybe a better illustration so you could have seen it. But sin's much more alluring than that. If we saw a big uh, logging chain and said, I'm going to wrap you up in this. <laughs> no, you're not. That would be an easy thing to say no to, wouldn't it? That would make sin too appealing, not, not appealing enough. 
we would, we would say, I'm not going to buy that. I see through the lie there. There's no way you're wrapping me up in that. If you wrap me up in that one time, I can't get out of it. And then I'm stuck. I'm not, I'm not being stuck. Sin doesn't work like that, though, does it? It's much more appealing. It's much more alluring. It's much more sneaky. And so if he wraps you around this just one time, oh, I can get out. I'm fine. How many times have we heard someone say, I can quit anytime I want? They just got one or two wraparounds, right? At least that's what they think. I can quit. I can get out of it anytime I want. What they don't know is the whole thing's wrapped around them. They couldn't get out if they tried. Sin does that. He only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want you to be happy. In fact, we've got a pointed illustration in Scripture for just how far he'll take it. The tenth plague in Egypt. He doesn't start there, right? God doesn't start there. He starts fairly small, right? It doesn't, it doesn't cause personal, emotional pain. Not at, this, not at this level, right? He's trying to break Pharaoh's heart, right? That's what Scripture would say. He's using the plagues to, in an attempt to break Pharaoh's heart, to get him to capitulate, to get him to give over so that he will obey. That's what God wants. He wants obedience from Moses to the lowest Hebrew slave all the way up to Pharaoh. That's what he wants for you too. Pharaoh won't give over. That first tendril, that's the first plague. If we can think about it like that. I'm sure he started before then with sin, right? But then the second one came along. And then the third plague. And by the time the tenth, the ninth plague comes along, Pharaoh is so deep into his refusal to submit to God, his sin, <coughs> he can't get out of it if he tried. And so sin took him farther than he wanted to go. It cost him more than he wanted to pay. That's what sin does. He doesn't want you to be happy. You've got to see through the lie of the pleasure of sin. Follow it all the way to the end, and this is all you'll find. Destruction, pain, grief. How many houses have we seen ruined because of this? How many people have we seen ruined because of this? Can't play with sin. Agrippa's playing with sin. He may not characterize it like that, he would probably characterize it as political motives or being true to himself or he's in charge. He'll do what he wants. That's probably how he's going to characterize his life, his actions. You know how God would characterize it? Sin. And sin does to him what it will do to all of us if we allow it. It crushes him. He's going to reign for 40 more years. He doesn't immediately die. We don't even necessarily know of any terrible things that happen to him. But I do know that if you follow that train of thought long enough, even at the end of his 40 years, what happens to him? Finds his soul in hell. Sin only kills, destroys, and brings pain. Don't get wrapped up in it. 
You've got to see through the lie. Sin is not pleasurable. It only wants to hurt you. It only wants to take everything from you. Agrippa needed to learn that lesson back in Acts 26. You need to learn that lesson today. That's a lesson we all have to learn. This is something we all deal with. Agrippa struggled with it just as much as we do today. And so today, if you're struggling with it, there's only one way out. You can't get out of this tangled mess on your own. You can't dig your way out of that hole. You only dig yourself farther and farther in. You only get yourself more wrapped up in this stuff. You can't do it on your own, but Jesus can do it. In fact, he's promised that he will do it through the power of baptism. He removes those cords. He takes them away. He digs you out of the hole. He lifts you up, and he makes you brand new. Today, if you've not been baptized into Christ, you're still lost in your sins, and you're still wrapped up in sin. It's still threatening you. It's still looking for a way to kill, steal, and destroy everything you love. But there's a way out, and it's only through Jesus. This morning, if you need the prayers of this congregation to be everything that God would have you to be, why don't you come as we stand and sing?
morning, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. If you are visiting with us, we are glad to have you worship with us this morning. Uh, if you can take a few moments to file a visitor card in front of you uh, and place it in a black box, we'd love to have a record of your attendance. A um, couple things for announcements. Uh, food pantry still needing items. Uh, there's a list on the bulletin board and also in the Rome Journal. Um, we're still needing jelly, canned fruit, uh, ravioli, and some other things as well. If you can help out with that, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, ladies, tomorrow um, you're all invited to a bonfire and hot dog roast at the Miller's house. Uh, ladies, you'll meet here at the building at 6 o'clock and to carpool or to follow someone. But if you're planning on going to that uh, hot dog roast and bonfire, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Uh, please sign up before you leave this morning so that way the Millers can have a record of uh, who's coming uh, to their house and prepare. Also, this coming Saturday, October the 14th, the youth group will be going to Cooper Family's Farm in Corn Maze. The bus will leave at 1.15. Uh, it costs $8, and any child that's under three will be free. Hopefully they don't lose the kids that are under three. <laughs> Hopefully they're there with a the parent. So uh, <laughs> this event is for sixth grade and younger. So um, but, uh, also next Tuesday, October 17th, Young at Heart, we'll be heading to Casa Grande. Uh, 10, we'll meet here at the building at 1030. Also next Saturday, October 21st, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy's Life Group, We'll be meeting at the Galloway's Pond, and, um, and that was, is at 5.30. So uh, Life Group through meeting at, at Joe and Sandy's Pond at uh, 5.30. Also, uh, Sunday, October 22nd, will be the youth-led service at Pleasant Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, their service starts at 10 a.m. They do not have a p.m. service, so um, 10 a.m. service. Updates are on prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. He has an appointment tomorrow and also Thursday. Uh, keep him in your prayers as he's continuing with his cancer treatments. Uh, keep Jim Haney and Tanya Shamblin and Jim Martin in your prayers as well and their families as they're continuing with their cancer treatments. Keep Ju Judy Jordan and Marvin Jordan in your prayers as well as uh, they're at home recovering. I know they wish they could be here, um, but keep them in your prayers. Keep John Klein in your prayers as well. Um, I see he's recovering at home. I uh, don't see him here this morning. Um, so and keep Carolyn O'Lynn. Uh, she's at Wingate. Uh, keep uh, her in your prayers and, and Stephen's family. And Merwin, continue to keep Roger Pryor and Peg Pryor in your prayers. And also keep uh, Charlie and Alice Boso in your prayers. Um, uh, if you haven't heard, Charlie is at St. Mary's. Hopefully um, he's coming home either Monday or Tuesday. So hopefully... Um, uh, he'll be home then, but at this time, the family's asked for no visitors. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody. Oh, Jeremy's got one more. Sorry. Some announcements are more difficult to make than others, so I'm just going to read what I've got written down here. The elders are charged with overseeing a congregation's needs, both from a physical as well as a spiritual standpoint. The elders must present a unified front to the congregation on decisions that will affect the well-being of the entire group. 
So due to conflicting personal beliefs and to remove any potential negative impacts to the remaining leadership, Rick Keister decided to step down from his position as an elder of the Rome Church of Christ. This decision has come after careful thought and consideration is not taken lightly. And although we regret this outcome, the elders support his decision and certainly wish to thank Rick for his many efforts over the last two years. Rick's input and his contributions have been vital in establishing the Education Committee and reestablishing our life groups in preaching and teaching, song leading, just to name a few. Rick's desire has always been to strengthen this congregation and to lead folks closer to Christ. While no longer serving as an elder, we look forward to Rick's continued leadership, serving as a song leader and a Bible class teacher, an occasional preacher, life group leader, and wherever else he may decide to lend a hand. Rick, Karen, we sincerely thank you for your service. Please stand as John leads us in our closing song. Closing hymn this morning, number 780. Won't it be wonderful there? First two verses, and then Brother Jason Stevens will lead us in prayer. When with the Savior we enter the glory land, won't it be wonderful there? In the We thank you for this beautiful day you've given to us today. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you, and, and we pray that you will continue to bless us. We pray that our service today was accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. Lord, we have so many things on our hearts and minds, and we just pray that you will continue to be, especially with those who are sick, uh, those who were just mentioned, Lord, we pray that you'll be with them, be with their families. We pray that you will be with those who are suffering loss. We pray that you will be with those who are struggling, Lord. We pray that you will watch over them. Lord, we pray that you will be with those who will be traveling as we travel about, and we pray that you will watch over them as well. Lord, we pray that you will bless the Keister family, Lord. We thank you for Rick, and we pray that you will be with he and Karen and their family, and we pray that you will continue to bless us here at Rome. Lord, we also um, are concerned with uh, things that are going on in our world today. We pray that you will be with Israel. We pray that you will 
watch over them, and Lord, we pray that you will bring peace to this world, but we know, Lord, how that's not the case. Satan would not have that, and we thank you for allowing us to live in a nation that is safe, that we may worship you uh, as best as we can without fear of retribution or danger. We pray that you will be with those in this world who do not have that opportunity, Lord. We pray that you will watch over them, and Lord, we pray that um, you will be with those and keep them safe. Lord, go with us now. We pray that you'll be with our families, be with those who are like family. We pray that you will keep them safe, watch over us, and go with us until we meet again. Forgive us of our sins, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.